0: Pulse FM presents Sports Yak. Yes. yes. A podcast featuring Corey Mann and Chuck Freebie
1: yakking about sports and faith. And the number one spot this week for Sports Yak Downloads and Listens, Elkhart.
0: Can they? Yes. Will they? No.
1: I don't know that I want to hear YMCA at a college football game. No.
0: Download, listen, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss an episode of The Yak.
1: I thought Derrick Rose was Jalen Rose,
0: and Jalen Rose was <laughs> Derek Rose. No wonder I say these people have no clue at all. <laughs> what in the world? world outside of my wedding and the birth of my children that was the greatest night of my life brought to you by big and tall outlet of elkhart or online at bigandtalloutlet.com because big guys gotta look good too it's either my way or or adios adios amigos. amigos
2: you have got to be kidding me sit pop podcast is recorded in front of a live internet audience
1: Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that solves all of our disagreements by playing a rock and line, It's Sif Pop. It does seem the simplest of, you know, yeah, ways to go that's around way that. to do it? Welcome to Sif Pop streaming live on Spreaker every Saturday afternoon or the occasional Friday evening. Or <laughs> available to download later in your podcast <laughs> feed. Unless of course you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Can I I'm Aaron Dicer from YourMovieFriend.com. dot com. He's Andrew Ormsby from FlickFreaks. Ahoy! Each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. I didn't mention we're recording on a like a Friday evening almost. Yeah, because once again for two weekends
2: in a row you're in LA. Uh, what? No, I'm going to New York this time. Oh, I thought you said New LA York in the City. email. Oh, I remember those. That was the uh, the uh, what was it? Peso
1: commercial? There's some sort of barbecue? No, it a- was it was salsa. Was salsa, I thought it was barbecue sauce. Oh. But anyways, was Ber- something from Kansas City. <laughs> New York City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Animal. Uh, no, I was in L.A. last weekend. This week, I'm in New York City. This is last second. Actually, both of them were kind of last second things, but I'm pumped about this weekend. This may um, be one of the coolest things I've ever been invited to do. So uh,
2: Yeah. It's Netflix. Are, oh, wait. Are we allowed to say? What I you're think doing? so. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you were on some. No, kind I of... tweeted
1: about it earlier today. Um, I, I don't know if I'll be under any kind of uh, non-disclosure with the review, like if there's an embargo or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but Netflix is uh, inviting me out to New York City to see Roma. Uh, their Alfonso Cuarón movie uh, that they're putting out and making a big awards push for. Listen, if they're if they're bringing me to New York City, they're making a big awards push. <laughs> like yeah. If, if is they're it... if they're scraping the bottom of this barrel, <laughs> are you? Are, is that the only movie you're seeing, or are there any other ones? No, that that's gets... it. Okay, that's it. I'm actually out there the same weekend as our uh, documentary awards, the Critics Choice Documentary Awards. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to be able to go to those two, which I wasn't going to go because I, you know, I didn't want to foot the bill to nyc or whatever sure but since i'm going to be there you know might as well grab an uber and go see the documentary awards too because i heard that there were three movies that this isn't, this isn't, uh, do we care anyway?
2: But uh, <laughs> uh I heard there were three movies that uh Netflix was really going to push for uh award, so I didn't know if you were seeing the other two or not.
1: Um I know The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is the Coen Brothers movie yeah, uh, that they're putting out. Bird Box is the other big one, okay. the Sandra Bullock movie. This is just Roma. This is just, I okay. think they know it's their front runner, and I think their biggest push is going to be for Roma. Well, it's Alfonso. <laughs> <laughs> That's all Let's you see, had to say. What, a, what other movies has he made? um mm. children of men yeah that's a movie that what Mom three th- four people saw you Me know tom tom Bien and yeah. a little movie called gravity yeah, yeah. and oh. uh
2: then he did some movie with some uh new up-and-comer named leonardo dicaprio i can't remember what the name of that movie was it was uh that wasn't him
1: yeah uh, yeah he did no are you sure that was a different one of the three amigos that was um are you talking about revenant yeah. No, he didn't do The Revenant. I swear he did. He's only done three movies. He's only done those three. Um, that was... Uh, just, it wasn't Del Toro. Who's the third one? What is going on? My entire
2: life is like thrown on its... Oh, that was Alejandro Iñárritu. Iñárritu, yes. Yeah. Which, yeah, he did, you know, Babel and Beautiful and all those other movies. Yeah, so, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, that's racist. That's a racist. Bad, Andrew. Bad. That is a little bit, but it's not, I mean, it's not something I think. Because I kind of had the same thoughts, too. That, you know, I, I get well, the free. you're racist, too. <laughs> that's the best way to fight racism is mid I'm racist as well. <laughs> yeah. We're all racist. Fight a little racist
2: bit. with more racism. What, what was the name of that? uh... That uh, musical, everybody's a little bit racist, and you know, it was the knockoff of like an adult Sesame Street sort of thing.
1: I don't remember this at all. Are you
2: kidding? It was one of the biggest uh, musicals like to hit theater or like you know, like actual theaters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll have to look that up while we're actually, you know,
1: while you're giving the intro and everything for what we're (laughs) doing today. All right, here's what we're doing today we're gonna have some fun Sif Pop times, uh, like we like to do. Uh, of course, we'll have our buried treasure at the end. We've got a fun Sift Quest where we're going to ta- be talking about colors, beautiful colors. Avenue Q. Uh, oh, Avenue Q. I have heard of it. I've just never seen it or, okay. or anything. Um, so yeah, so we'll be talking about that in the Sift Quest. And then uh, we've got a twofer today, which is pretty much all we're going to have the rest of the year, it feels like. At least twofers, Yeah. Uh, cause there's a lot of stuff. Coming. I mean, even just this weekend, there's a lot of stuff out. When I put up that poll, people are like, it's not fair. I don't want to just pick one. I want to hear about everything. Yeah. And uh, we're also kind of playing catch up too. Well, with Bohemian Rhapsody because of last week, yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're playing catch up on that. And then we'll do uh, overlord cause that won the poll. Um, I will go ahead and put some of those others back up on the poll for next week in, in case we uh, can catch up on those, I think like Suspiria and, uh, the girl the, and with the, horn the spider is, web yeah. tattoo or <laughs> whatever it's called. Uh, so yeah, so we'll catch up on as much as we can. Um. But yeah, but that's what's on, on score for today. But first, we'd like to kick it off with some Do We Care? Every single week, I
2: scour the internet to find out what is going on in the entertainment world. I pick three topics for us to discuss, and we must decide which of these we care about or not. Number one. You loved it, Aaron. You loved it so much that so I'm making another one. The Meg 2 is on its way. <laughs> it is unknown whether any of the returning cast will, be, or of the cast will be returning, like Jason Statham, or probably not. You have to Wilson. Have
1: Statham back. You can't do the movie without Statham, right? Tell me, there's another shark out there. <laughs> I'm going to transport him to hell. I think you I think you have to have Statham. I do care. I think, you know, it was fun enough. It's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. I can separate those two in my brain. Um, And I'd, I'd love to see more, you know? That'd be fun. I like Giant Sharks. Here's the thing. You have to do a sequel to a movie
2: like this quickly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if they tried to do Snakes on a Plane 2 right now. Right. Like, wow, you waited a long time to do that. So you got to... There's a cash cow here, and you know take advantage of it yeah a cash cash shark
1: cash shark um not a baby shark doot doot doot, doot. (laughs) (laughs) sorry maybe that'll be in the sequel (laughs) if i can just get jason statham singing baby shark i think the sequel will be completely worth it oh yeah i can't believe that's the thing you start off with with all the crazy news that happened this week Well,
2: you know, there is... I'm probably not going to hit on most of the I don't think you could. Like, there was
1: so many... Like, I just... I remember seeing, you know, sequels and movies about stuff and Walking Dead. And so, continue.
2: I'm not bringing up any of the Walking Dead stuff because that would send me on a rage rant and i don't feel like it i'm too tired right now but what if i want
1: a little bit of a rage rant
2: andrew lincoln has signed on (laughs) to do three walking dead
1: movies are you kidding me (laughs) that's right this segment is now called are you kidding me instead of do we care (laughs) Uh, are you kidding me
2: oh my gosh i mean everybody was like okay this is the perfect way to end Walking Dead. This is the last season of The Walking Dead. And you're like, okay, just wrap it up. And then. Is it the can... last
1: season of The Walking Dead? Is the last I knew season. it was
2: his last season. It is of the, Walking... the official last season of The Walking Dead. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, so now he signed on to do three movies. <sighs>
1: <laughs> well, here's my thing I, I heard it was. It was one of those things where it was such a nice kind of goodbye, and the, again, I haven't watched since before, you know... I'm like, what, two or three seasons behind, yeah, I gave up. Bef- since uh, the the barbed wire base- baseball bat. Lucille. It's, since Lucille uh, entered the picture, I haven't been watching. But my understanding was they did a really good job sending him off, and then they immediately announced this, and it's like, well, I mean, quit toying with my heart, you know? If Like, if you're a Walking Dead fan, you know, it's just like, oh, well, okay, yeah. It's kind of an expanded universe thing that they're trying to do, though, right?
2: I don't know. I don't care. They have to know that they're just, you know, beating an undead horse at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just let it go. Just like uh, the Frozen girl said, let it
1: go. I Here's my <clears> only <throat> thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything is beyond the ability to become interesting again. Uh, but it, for me, it would have to be more of... It would have to be less of the zombies, which is what makes the show for a lot of people, and more of the putting the world back together. Like, that kind of interests me, you know? Like, how you know, how do things start to actually get better? That's where I start getting interested again. I can only take so much of it's always going to be bad.
2: Yeah. You know? I had hope whenever, the, you know, they found Alexandria, you know, and that you was know, probably before you uh stopped watching but they found probably like, uh, they actually found a city with like solar power and all that stuff so they were able to shower and get clean and stuff Ooh, nice yeah but anyway <laughs> we're done with that now we're moving on to the original two right. all right speaking of sequels though this is insane ridley scott did you hear about this He wants to do Gladiator 2. Yeah,
1: I did hear about this.
2: What is going on (laughs) in the world right now? You always hear about, you know, goofy sequels to movies that never would need a sequel. Like Titanic 2, you know? (laughs) I mean, they actually made that movie. Right. And you're like, okay, that is just the most ridiculous thing but james cameron didn't make titanic 2 right so whenever i hear that ridley scott wants to make a sequel to a movie that doesn't need a sequel to his own movie (laughs) what is going on
1: and now our, our next story in are you kidding me? are
2: you kidding me no okay but seriously um it's apparently from what he's said because I guess there's an entire Wikipedia page of movies Rid- Ridley Scott wants to do. Okay, and I-, I didn't look at it, but apparently he said if there's one on that list I'm going to do, it's Gladiator Two. Lucius, who was the little boy in the movie, yeah, it's supposed to be about him
1: all grown up oh. now. Lucius becomes kind of like the new Maximus or kind of something I- like that. I don't know it. Either way, it just sounds terrible. Well, hey, what I mean, what movies you make now echo through eternity. So, Uh, you know, good pool, Aaron. (laughs) It's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's fine. You know, make it. We'll see what happens. Not yet. (laughs) Finally. Sure. This is really exciting
2: news, especially for me. You may not care about this one. Okay. Uh, Andy Muschietti, who directed It and Mama, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. He will be directing an American live action version of Attack on Titan. Ooh, interesting. You watch that show? No. Um, okay, you should. I know you have trillions and trillions I of shows. It like feels that way, doesn't get, it? It yeah. really does well, feel that way. Was it last week we actually had that conversation about because we did fall TV and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I said the good doctor was if I had to push a show on you for the fall, uh-huh. um, I would probably push Attack on Titan because it is unlike any other show. It's definitely unlike any other anime I've ever seen. Okay. It's dark, it is very, very dark. And okay. But it's also so good. Where can you watch it? Uh, Hulu. You can watch it on Hulu. Um, I don't know. I think they have both English dub and sub on Hulu. Okay. And, yeah, it's insanely good. I like
1: the subs better than the dubs.
2: Yeah. I like dubs for anime, but for live action, I like subs. I'm really weird.
1: That's not weird. I actually kind of understand that. Yeah. I can actually understand that because when when you're dealing with, like, a live performance... Yeah. I think you're dealing with more of the the lips being off from the words changing the way you're feeling about their actions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like with an, with anime or animation even. It's just Yeah, it's a li- it's a little bit different, but I I always prefer the original language performance for whatever reason. I just, you know, feels mm-hmm. more accurate to me.
2: Yeah. I just most of the time it's like Troy Baker's doing the live action mm-hmm. and I love that guy, so I just like hearing his voice and stuff, so <laughs> Uh, but
1: that's going to wrap it up for Do We Care? Nice. I'm going to throw a little bonus in there before Ooh, we move on. Okey-dokey. Because we also speaking of AMC announcing movies, Breaking Bad movie yep. apparently is happening uh, about Jesse. It's a Jessie. sequel uh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. this, yeah. Interesting. How do you feel about that? Is that another are you kidding me or is that uh, do we care?
2: Here's the thing. Breaking Bad, while it was also an AMC show, knew when it needed to end. Mm-hmm. And, yes, they're doing better, better Call Saul right now, but that's all prequel stuff. And it's really not tying into The uh, Walking Dead as much. The Walking Dead. That would be interesting. The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know. The Breaking like the, Dead. Uh, actually, it was uh, blue was actually what caused the Undead uh, fallout. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh Walk or Better Call Saul doesn't really tie into Breaking Bad as much as I would expect the Andrew Lincoln series to tie into the Walking mm. Dead. And Walking Dead's gone on way too long. It has gone on way too long. Yeah. And there are also way too many episodes per season of mm. just random yeah. just filler.
1: I I think I am a fan of expanded universe stuff. I think I'm finding more and more about myself that I like the idea of a well put together expanded universe. And the idea of a Breaking Bad movie that follows Jesse after the the, you know, the series that we saw of Breaking Bad is really appealing to me. And I know it's not to a lot of people, but. What they proved to me, what Vince Gilligan proved to me with Better Call Saul... Is it going be is, done? Is that they're, they're brilliant. They're super brilliant. They're super talented. They get it. And the ways that Better Call Saul is interacting with characters from Breaking Bad, I really like. I know others who don't. But I really enjoy it. And I'm enjoying where they're piecing it in and how it's, it's kind of growing a little bit. I would love to see this universe in all of its interconnected ways. If if Better Call Saul, how about this for an idea? If Better Call Saul catches up to Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and then we see parallel some stuff from Saul Goodman's perspective during the Breaking Bad years. And then the I thought that. And then the movie is a continuation of a lot of those characters that, you know, that we've known or loved through those other storytelling ideas to go tell a different story. So
2: if I'm understanding correctly you're saying that Breaking Bad is all from Walter's perspective and then yes. that Better Call Saul could be all from Saul's Saul pers- Goodman's yeah. perspective. And then the or at movie least story, yes. Yeah, and then the movie could be all from Jesse's
1: perspective. Exactly, yeah. Kind of around the same time, you know. Ish. Ish. You know enough that it feels like you're putting the pieces together, you're understanding some because what one, one of the things I'm loving about Better Call Saul is a better understanding of uh of that character, of the, of where he came from and how he became Who we see in Breaking Bad because you got to—it's almost hard to remember after watching Better Call Saul. But in Breaking Bad, that character was a goofball, was just like a a total—he'd do anything for whatever and could talk his way out of anything. And to see how he resigned himself to that from where he came from, and we still don't know all those pieces. We don't know what's going to happen that's going to finally like really break break him. Yeah, but it's just I—what I've been fascinated by is Vince Gilligan's ability to take a character and show us how they transition as a human being and he obviously did that with Walter White in Breaking Bad. I think he's doing it with uh, Saul Goodman um, in Better Call Saul and I would love to see him do it with Jesse even if it's just a movie. But
2: here's my... You know, double edged sword on that. Sure, we've totally. seen we've seen Jesse's transformation already. Lots of it, yes. Yeah. So I don't know what else could be said for that character. I'm not saying I'm not going to watch it. No, obviously, I mean, I'm going to watch it. Wasn't I mean, he
1: basically? Don't in the last we saw he see got him out. He, he got out, and he's also kind of like gone crazy a little bit. Like, like at the end, isn't he's he like, like crying? Yeah, and like screaming. cry, laughing, and yeah. maniac. Yeah, it seemed a little weird. Like he almost like Jesse broken. turns
2: into the Joker, <laughs> and it's actually the DC
1: universe. <laughs> uh, just throw it all together. That's what the future is. Every single property will be connected together. Anyways, I did want to talk about that a little bit, so I thought is, Are thought there I'd any? Because, like you said, it was a giant news. week That's, anything else? No, you want no, no, to no. Out? i talked about all the ones that I'm dying to talk about. If there's something that you want us to talk about. Feel free to let us know. Like same places, you throw your Sift Quest in. Throw in some ideas for do we care? We'd love to hear the new stories yeah. that you want us to uh, to chat about. Yes. So some people might care about
2: you and McGregor being cast as Black Mask right? and Birds of Prey, sure, Pre, sure. Um, which is really
1: interesting. Uh, I. In... especially after recently dissed superhero movies yeah and Mark Marin's kind of the same way he used to diss superhero movies all the, all the time and now he's in the new Joker movie and yep it's it's coming for everyone you've got to be careful what you say they'll get you eventually alright you ready to head on to some reviews yeah buddy now let's talk about Bohemian Rhapsody don't you see what you could
0: be no one will play us on the radio we need to get experimental Thunderbolts and lightning very very frightening do it again. Galileo. One more. How many more Galileos do you want? Roger, there's only room in this band for one hysterical queen. Let me go, let you go. Mark these words. No one will play a queen. Fortune favours the bold.
1: Bohemian Rhapsody is a foot-stomping celebration of Queen, their music, and their extraordinary lead singer, Freddie Mercury. Freddie defied stereotypes and shattered convention to become one of the most beloved entertainers on the planet. The film traces the meteoric rise of the band through their iconic songs and revolutionary sound. Um, I'm really interested to talk about this one, Andrew. Uh, You're a huge Queen fan. It's true. I have much respect for their music and their talent. Uh, They are incredibly talented songwriters musicians and singers obviously um so i was excited to see this as well as i'm sure you were um so there's lots to talk about here but let's just kick it off as we usually do did you like it love it dislike it hate it or it was just okay you want me to go first yeah go for it uh
2: beyond loved it Ooh, number new number one movie of the year Ooh, yeah
1: uh, Boy, I, I'm excited to hear you gush
2: all over this just movie. Just real quick, though, as a pr- as a preface, as Aaron kind of hinted, Queen is my all-time favorite band, so there is potentially a bias here
1: for you know this movie. No, I get it. Okay. I I totally get it. But you also, but Dark Tower is also like your favorite book series ever, and yeah, you but this hated is that. Good. <laughs> and is I, it? what <laughs> uh i'm firmly in the it was just okay no Damn. way yeah yeah no oh okay yeah this will be interesting <laughs> no i'm excited to hear you gush all over this movie okay. it left me wanting in a lot of areas there are a lot of things i love and i'll start there since we like to start with the pros mm-hmm. uh i think we have to start with rami malik who it's insane is he astonishing is, in he this is movie freddie
2: mercury you know, we were t-
1: Farouk. Yeah, Farouk, exactly. We were yeah. talking earlier uh, during the pre-show, uh, which, by the way, if you're a Patreon supporter, you can listen to the pre-show. It's in your podcast feed. But we were talking about our experience with Queen and how Mark Martell, who sings Queen songs like Freddie Mercury sings them, basically, yeah. um, did a lot of the vocal work in this movie and is a huge part of that performance. Um, but, man, Rami Malek is just the heart of Freddie Mercury and the way he's acting and the the stuff on stage, the body movements. Oh, yeah. I was was so supremely impressed with how he literally embodied Freddie Mercury in his performance. I'm not
2: only going to shout out Freddie because he was perfect, but also, uh, how do you say his name? Gwillem Lee, who played Brian May. Yeah. Wow, that was also Brian May. I, I think felt... that this whole group of, you know, Freddie, Brian, Roger, and uh, John, who, by the way, uh, the guy who played John Deacon uh, is Joseph Mazzello. Mm-hmm. That's actually the
1: little kid from the first Jurassic Park movie. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All grown up being <laughs> John Deacon. Um, I'm not as familiar with the other members of the band, so I wouldn't be able to say that specifically. I okay. did feel, however... That as much as I felt like they 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 looked like the people I remember, like really did look a lot yeah. like them, I never felt watching those performances that those performances blew me away on an acting level or a dramatic level. They blew me away on um, those felt more like impersonations to me, whereas mm. Freddie felt more like an like a true authentic representation to me. And what's interesting is I think of the four of them. And again, I'm not super familiar, but of the four of them, I think Rami looked the least like Freddie Mercury of the other three. I think the other three almost looked identical to their counterparts. So yeah. it's interesting in that way.
2: Yeah, I could see what you're saying, though. But I also think their performances lend to how I think the chemistry in this movie works, because these four guys, whenever they get together you know, and they're on, on set, I don't see... You know, Rami. I don't see uh, Gwillem. I don't see Ben or Joe. Mm. I see Queen. You see a little silhouette of a man? Yes. (laughs) But no, like those moments where, okay, this is going to kind of segue into another pro I have for this By the way, we don't
1: have to worry about spoilers with this one, do we? Mm. I mean, it's all kind of the Queen story. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think we're going to do a Sif Spoil for Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, we probably will for Over- Overlord, but we won't for this. Yeah. Uh, so everybody... if we venture into plot points, I'm sorry if those feel like spoilers, but I feel like a lot of this is known, so I'm not too worried about it. And that
2: lends to the fact that everybody knows how tightness of a band Queen is. Right. So everybody knows their story. Everybody knows Freddie's. you know... Uh, incident with AIDS, you mm-hmm. know, and passing away from AIDS and all that stuff. And, you know, the the crazy lifestyle, mm-hmm. and, you know. But uh, there's so much more to this movie than just the Freddy story. A good portion of this movie is the Freddy Mercury, you know, the Phoenix Rising, you mm-hmm. know, being born again as Freddy Mercury as opposed to Farouk. Um it deals with a lot of amazing stuff and i think but that- yet
1: we never really we never really get to know Farouk it's always freddy like from the moment we're introduced to him even though he's he hasn't adopted the moniker quite yet he's already knows who he is and who he wants to be and like we don't ever really see like the the insecure kid version or the figuring it out kind of thing you know what i mean i like don't it's, i don't think we need to though because again that's possible
2: because then it would be a freddie mercury movie as opposed correct. to a queen movie correct so i think that wh- how it starts off you know as freddie or as farouk is becoming freddie and that he's the movie starts off like 15 minutes they're forming the band really mm-hmm. and you think a lot of this like in the beginning of the movie you're like Okay, yeah, there's a lot of big moments happening really early in this movie. What's going to happen? I know this is like a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Like, What's going to happen in the last two hours? And then you forget, oh, yeah, this is Queen. They have <laughs> the biggest uh, story of any musical group, possibly.
1: Well, plus they showed the entire Live Aid concert. <laughs> which was amazing. I agree, actually. The fact
2: that they did that. I was crying during that part because it was just so yeah. emotional. Uh, just the
1: grandeur of it, you know. Well, it's one thing my wife said, and I think it, it, it bears mentioning, is she was unaware of how many of those lyrics are could be so meaningful to his story, you know, or to yeah. their story. And it's it's interesting, too, because many of those lyrics were written before they would have been that meaningful to their story. And I found that fascinating. So. There,
2: there are a couple... Um, historical inaccuracies with the movie uh Freddie didn't know about his diagnosis until after live aid okay i wondered about that yeah it was actually two years after live aid i think live aid was 85 85 yeah so it was 87 that he that he got his diagnosis and then passed away in 91 mm-hmm. um that's not how he met uh hutton uh, okay and uh just a couple things like that uh, uh, that doesn't
1: bother me. I, that never bothers. I you know, I understand when when you make movies, you got to tighten things up and yeah. move things around and tell a better story. And I, I get that. Sure. i li- I like it when a true story can be as close to the truth as possible. I think it's more powerful. Yeah, but um, that stuff doesn't bother me too yeah. much. And uh, he was actually uh,
2: roommates with uh, Brian and all those other guys. He, oh, didn't, okay. me- he didn't meet them at the bar. At and the say, I want to be in the. I want to be in the band. He was roommates with them. Okay. Um. But yeah, just a couple things like that. But for the most part, I think that you know. The whole, because those aren't really the important bits. Right. Of it, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But you know, like getting ready for Live Aid, the biggest concert in history. You know, mm-hmm. and them just nailing it. And like you said, they showed the entire twenty-minute set, and. If you, I, I I, don't know about you, but I've seen the actual Live Aid performance. I haven't in a long time. Like, I don't know how many times I've seen it. But the fact that the way they did that was note for note, vocal, I mean, vocal note for vocal mm-hmm. note, exactly how it is in the concert. Yeah. Because if you notice, like, in during the concert, he's singing Bohemian Rhapsody just a little bit differently than yes. it's actually on the record. Right. Because that's exactly how he sang it during... During Live Aid. At Wimbledon, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I assumed how it had happened. Um, And it is a spectacular... Uh, 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 series of shots and I mean oh. it's just it's a great scene so you, I was surprised they did the whole thing though
2: oh, I'm glad they did
1: yeah I, I, I can't hate on it yeah I thought it was pretty amazing
2: alright so I'm, I could honestly just gush about this movie forever so I want do to, you
1: to, do you want to gush about anything else anything else you wanted to bring up um, I
2: think that uh, Lucy Boynton who did Mary Austin was okay. great I actually really enjoyed the story of Freddie and her you know mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Which know, his, his wife. Yeah. And, you know, even after they separated and uh, he still called her his muse mm-hmm. and that he wanted to have that relationship. Those scenes where he's in his house across the street and, you know, he's playing with the light and stuff, mm-hmm. just wanting to have that human relationship because... Yeah. To so many people, he wasn't, you know, he was beyond being human. You know, he was, you know, a god. Well, yeah. and
1: we've we've seen other superstars lose that human. You, know, you think of Michael Jackson and yeah. him longing for some sort of human connection. And I, I understand this is disturbing and a little bit uh, uh, even gross, I would say. But he found that with kids, and I don't, I don't mean in that way. Yeah, because he didn't have a childhood. Correct. So, so he got
2: to live vicariously through yes. all these little. Kids, yeah, he had it, uh, and I, I'm not
1: speaking into accusations or, pedophilia or, or any of that kind sure. of stuff. Yeah. I'm just saying when you come to that place of superstardom, you get disconnected from what it means to be a human because everybody looks at you as something more than human, and so you try to find it in these places. And you know, and they're not the only ones to deal with that, but uh but I thought the movie you know showed that fairly well, and so. also. I also love the
2: fact that the movie shows you how these songs came about. You know, well, that's like, the
1: other thing I gush about is just the the songs, hearing the songs in the movie and the theater with great sound yeah. and just incredible.
2: Well, you were talking about earlier about that bass riff, you know, for another one by Seduce, mm-hmm. you know, just to settle the argument. You know, yeah, that's actually a really good riff. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part of the movie. Yeah. Or I want to I want to make a song that the audience can play, and then that's how mm-hmm. "We Will Rock You" comes about. You right. know. Just so many amazing moments like that, you know. Songs I grew up with, loving seeing, you know, how they come to life is just like it makes you feel like you were there. It really—that's another thing this movie does—is it really immerses you in this
1: world really well. Mm-hmm. I think the—it's uh, interesting. You can tell in my mind that this is a movie done from the band's perspective. Like you can tell that Brian May and the others were were very involved in how this movie was made yeah. because it really places an emphasis on the band being the answer and Freddie Mercury, you know, not being, you know, the solo that it's about family and the band. And I'm not even saying that's not true. I'm not yeah. even saying it didn't happen that way. What I'm saying is you can almost feel their fingerprints saying, you know, we're just as much, a, you know, a part of this story as as Freddie is, yeah. um, it it was it was interesting because I what was the article I read? I can't remember the exact article but they talked about when uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was he was going in, to be Freddie and then he dropped out yeah. well and he was kind of overseeing it too um, was he going to direct too was he going to direct himself I I can't remember anyway I can't remember but I remember when they were talking about that they were like. Um, uh the, well you know then Freddie dies and we're halfway through the movie right because then you've got the rest of the movie where the the band continues on and mm-hmm. and so the band was very insistent like you know this isn't about that thankfully I think they reached a nice compromise where it really feels like about the band with Freddie yeah as opposed to you know kind of underselling that yeah. um but you can feel it you can definitely feel uh you know that they. They definitely had their say in how oh, this was yeah. put together. Yeah. So and what, that's okay. I get
2: it. What did you think of the Mike Myers cameo? Uh,
1: I think it's great. I think it's really cute. Yeah. Um, it was one of many scenes that will start to slide into my negatives a little bit. But it was uh-huh. one of it was one of many scenes that seemed very manufactured to me. Uh, a little bit cloying. A little bit, you know, like toying. You could really feel the manipulation in a lot of these scenes. Um, And that that was one of them. I mean, every does every um, rock biopic have to have the scene where some, you know, radio radio exec doesn't get it and, you know, is destroyed in history or whatever. I mean, that's not an actual person, is it? It's based on, I think, two or three people who were in that room, but they just culminated it into one person. Uh, The cameo itself is fine. Uh, He's almost unrecognizable. Yeah, which is fun. I love the fact that he says, "There's nobody
2: going to be headbanging to (laughs) Bohemian Rhapsody." Yeah, and then that's one of the most iconic scenes, you know, from Wayne's World is the Bohemian Rhapsody headbanging. Yeah, Um, I I just love stuff like that, man. Even just little Easter eggs, you know.
1: No, I get it, and there's probably a lot that I didn't catch in this too. Yeah, uh, of the Easter eggs because I'm not necessarily a huge fan.
2: I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this now. It's a ten out of ten movie for me. I don't. Yeah. I don't have any cons. Okay. So if you have cons, I'll just let you do your thing, man. No, no,
1: no. That's fine. And, and if you want to respond, don't want to respond. That's fine too. I don't. Uh, we can just approach this as a conversation. Um, other scenes that did the press scene was. I mean, it was almost. There were some times during the the. Uh, what's the word? Uh, when you talk to the press, uh, press interviews. I can't believe my brain sometimes forgets words but um, yeah anyways they were doing the the press briefing uh, and it starts going wrong and they're asking questions and I love that scene it it was awful. What? I no, seriously. Like there were a couple times I was like, "This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen." Like it felt like a Saturday Night Live skit to me a couple times. So I was like, like the camera angles and the the way they were. It was just like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Well, it's because he was high. Uh, well, I but it doesn't. But the the scene did not feel authentic to me, and that's the problem I had with this movie. There was a lot of stuff especially around the drama of what was going on that felt really manufactured to me and didn't feel authentic to me. Um, To me, it felt like this movie is somebody ordering a cheeseburger in a steakhouse. This is a movie that could have been um, incredible, could have been deep and beautiful and authentic and really reached in and decided to explore some things and this movie is is just, for the most part, surface and manufactured. And if, if it weren't for Rami Malek, this this would be, in my opinion, a second-rate biopic. Like, there would be not a lot to grab onto here.
2: Wow. I'm glad so. I
1: didn't see the movie you did. <laughs> and I wish I had seen the movie you did. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's the emotion I had coming through. It was just like, there's, there's not... A lot for me to go. Okay, there's an honest exploration of. Here's another example. Okay, the the fr- the friend who is kind of the villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's uh, what was his? So they they play him as. I mean, it's just so on the nose. They play him as this hanger on who wants to destroy fred not necessarily destroy him but wants him to himself and you know is selfish and then there's the scene in the car where he kicks out the record exec because you know which also didn't happen by the way there was a mutual split between and it paints the whole it paints freddy's lifestyle of partying and drugs and sexual conquest and all that kind of stuff as this accidental thing that happened because his friend took him there and Oh, and then he wakes up. I never got that impression. Then, oh yeah. Cause I mean, every everything is on the villain friend. Not there's no responsibility put on, on Freddy's part for making those choices. Once he wakes up, it's like, like he's standing out in the rain. There's that scene where he kind of wakes up and he's like, yeah. Oh, you're a bad person and I want to be a good person. And then he goes and does, you know, live aid and that kind of thing. And yeah. it was just it just all felt very manufactured and paint my numbers and just very simple and it shouldn't have been simple it should have been complex
2: i i looked at it more as like uh angel and devil on your shoulder paul was the devil and then mary was the angel on the other shoulder and uh he tended to listen through his own choices not that you know he was being manipulated or anything there were a couple scenes where you know like with the executive you know being you know thrown out of the Mm -hmm. car and stuff but i you know i think that freddie
1: didn't in the movie i mean freddy didn't blame anybody but himself really he's uh, like freddy didn't but the movie did that's what i'm saying the movie n- the movie was never willing to put anything on freddy's shoulders it was always as if he was being manipulated into doing something he shouldn't have done i never or... felt that i always okay, felt I like yeah. i felt like the movie's like
2: yeah freddy uh, got himself in this hole you know it I, and i appreciate the fact that the movie didn't show you everything horrible Well, no, no, that- no,
1: I don't need it to be I don't need it to be graphic. I don't I don't need the R-rated version of this either. Yeah. Um I think you can do the PG-13 version of this. I I just needed a little more I I needed the scene where Freddy actually was like no i'm gonna you know go do this and i i want a party and i want to you know and they that's had
2: just... plenty of those scenes
1: no, where he came out
2: here. when he came out in the crown you know
1: and you know during the party he threw well they show him enjoying it but they don't they don't show him being the one that's like you know that those are that's his the place he wants to be it's just that he is there because he's being misled by this friend who he's the thinks one he who knows threw better. the party he it was his uh, decision to throw that party and stuff, so yeah. I'm I just her. I I just I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the authenticity of it. I wish it was a little more. That's pity. Real, um, but I did love Rami Malik's performance. I love the music. I love his posture in this movie. You can definitely tell, as
2: opposed to Mister Robot, you know, where he's hunched mm-hmm. over, you know, with Odie, how he's you know standing up straight, shoulders back, you know, chest out, and that up like chin up, you mm-hmm. know. It's just, it's crazy to see that a physical transformation like that, as opposed, you know, just putting in some teeth and saying you're Freddie Mercury. He, yeah. he you know, immersed and he became, it was so cool.
1: He will most likely get nominated, in yeah. my opinion, for uh, Best Actor this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't see any other nominations for this movie. Do you? Can you think of any other places where this would get nominated? Cinematography? Just because of maybe. how amazing that Wimbledon live It did look pretty incredible. That was so good. I would, maybe I, sound, maybe some sort of sound category or something like that. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. 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 Um I he this Oh, makeup. Yeah, quite possibly. Makeup, yeah. Yeah, I think that's quite possible. E-
2: because just like you said, Fred he doesn't look, you know, exactly like Freddie, but everybody else
1: looks just like mm. Brian, you know, and all those other guys. Very good. Um, I am supremely glad you enjoyed it. I have a feeling that, and I I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it. Like I said, it's kind of just okay for me. Maybe even on the high side of just okay, but, um, you know, the C plus B minus kind of range for me uh, is kind of where I landed on it. There's just enough missing from it for me. But I will say you're not alone. Um, A lot of other big queen fans in my life really loved it. Um, So I think that may be. Uh, a part of it, too, is if you're know if you a huge Queen fan, this is a fun experience to go see. So yeah. Critics are loving it, too, besides you. No. You, you go no. on
2: uh, Rotten Tomatoes and I you will. go on all those others. And on IMDb, it's destroying.
1: After I saw it um,
2: and kind of jotted my thoughts down, I went... On IMDb, it's in the top 250 movies of all time. It's
1: 133. It, it's 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, they didn't see the right movie, <laughs> No, I just know I saw a lot of, in fact, worse than what I would say. Like, there's a lot of critics that really don't like it. Fools. <laughs> but who cares, right? Like, that's a, that shouldn't... At the end of the day, what you believe about your movie experience is what's important, right? You don't have to feel bad about liking something that no. other people don't like. You don't have to feel... You know, bad about not liking something that other people like. Like that's what we're all about. We're all about the beauty of subjectivity here. And so
2: honestly, the podcasts that you and I do, where you and I disagree on a movie, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we disagree to an extent. You know, yeah. you didn't hate this movie. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, but uh, these are some of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, like the uh, the Last Jedi is a great example i hated that movie and you love that movie that's a big disagreement yeah. that was uh an amazing to podcast this day, right? to do. you
1: still hate that movie right
2: still hate it yeah, yeah. after multiple viewings yeah know? so validation <laughs> uh on my end
1: you
0: know
2: right. because i didn't want it to be one of those things like oh, i hated that movie oh maybe it is good because uh, you know yeah. so many people loved it i went back watched it still hated it i'm like okay it may go it's... into my
1: it may go into my top 100 this year <laughs> i love that movie was that this year No, no, no. I mean, it wasn't this year, but it may go into my top 100 when I update my top 100 this year. That's insane. So you're talking about top 100 of all time, not top 100 movies of the year? Yeah, top 100 of all time. Mm -hmm. I think I like it better than Force Awakens now. (laughs) <laughs> cool. You said they were your favorite podcast. I just thought I'd bring up the feelings again.
2: Yeah, but that's why I love that podcast because I, I like I rack my brain around like, okay, I I want to see the but, movie he saw. Just like I'm sure you're like looking at me like I want to see
1: the movie he saw. Yes. Well, especially in a case where you like it and I don't, I would you know I love loving things. I would love to come out yeah. you know liking it in the same way. And so. honestly,
2: didn't think there was going to be a movie that I loved more than uh, Infinity War this yeah. year. But just. It's, that's great, man.
1: Yeah, that's that is awesome. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So let us know how you feel about Bohemian Rhapsody as well, and we will get into some Overlord. You ready? Mm-hmm. Let's do Overlord.
2: Welcome to France.
0: What happened here? Some questions don't have good answers.
1: On the eve of D-Day, American paratroopers drop behind enemy lines to penetrate the walls of a fortified church and destroy a radio transmitter. As the soldiers approach their target, they soon begin to realize that there's more going on in the Nazi-occupied village than a simple military operation. Uh, This is Overlord. It comes to us from a bad robot, J.J. Abrams, originally was thinking maybe he'd squeeze this into the Cloverfield universe, um, which you can kind of see, Yeah, right? There are elements of this, definitely. And, uh, and even before we go any further, since I'm on the topic, I kind of wish Cloverfield Paradox worked better than it did because it's such a fun idea. It's such a fun concept, this idea that we could have had this same movie and then just maybe even a throwaway line at the end. That tells us we're in the same universe and that the reason that these, you know, weird things are happening is because of this, you know, spaceship thing that is throwing weird monsters into time and space. And I love that idea. That's one of the
2: reasons why I hated Cloverfield Paradox is because they tried to make it work when it didn't deserve or need to be in that universe. And I'm glad they didn't do it in this movie.
1: Yeah. So yeah, what I'm saying is I wish the problem the problem that you you're wish speaking they found to a way to make it work Yes and the problem that you're speaking to is the problem with doing this. It's in hindsight, right? It's taking these things that that weren't supposed to be Cloverfield and trying to remanufacture them instead of what if they had written this movie about this spaceship that was initially intended to be a Cloverfield universe expander I think that could have been amazing uh, and and the concept is strong, but I just I just don't think. I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see where Cloverfield goes. But that is not this movie. They nope. did not do that here. However, they did some other things. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about it. Uh, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or was just okay? I'm going to land on it was okay, leaning towards liked it. Uh, I am in liked it, leaning towards loved it. Wow. I know, right? This is not my usual kind of movie. No. Not at all. Um, there are elements of body horror here. There you know, uh, this is... This is Black Mirror, this is um zombie movie, this is war movie. Like there's so much going on here and I think I think it just technically was really well made. Yeah. I think it is it is gripping from the beginning to end. It had me thinking about our horror movie conversation. Which by the way, we've had some good response from our conversation on Halloween from Halloween fans. Oh good. And uh, I I love hearing that kind of stuff. Uh, I got called to task specifically for saying something about, uh, I'm an adult, I know what's real, and how condescending that might be to someone who loves horror movies saying, what are you, a child? Like, that's not how I intended it. Yeah. And we we had a good conversation about it and I think everybody's good. You know, my intention in saying that is I meant because I'm an adult, I can process what's real. They said, "Well, you go into other movies and you let yourself into the movie and even though you know it's not real." I said, "Yeah, that's but when I'm an adult, I can decide whether or not I'm doing it." That's yeah. what I meant. I didn't mean you know, only children can get scared by, you know, horror movies. I mean, I don't want to be scared. So I don't give myself to the, you know, yeah. the unreality of it. Yeah. So I was thinking about that and how it relates to a movie like this, that it has scares. It is kind of a horror movie. Um, in some scenes, it definitely is a horror movie. There's some jump scares. There's some different things like that. And it's not the fear that I'm attracted to. What I'm attracted to is going on the journey That characters I care about are going on. And if they're scared, then I'm buying into that. If fear is part of their journey, then I am engaged in what's going on. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because it's about the characters that I care about, not about, ooh, just scare me. Right? So I think that's why I love this movie. I love the characters. I love the way they built the characters. Um, I love that the first twenty of this m- minutes of this movie, maybe the best first twenty minutes of a movie this year. Um, it is, it's I'm, insane. It's an, an insane opening. scene. I
2: love that opening scene so very, very much. Talk about it a little bit. Okay, so it reminded me. I'm going to have to look up his name. Uh, he was the director of Kong Skull Island. You know, just the vibrancy of the colors, even set in a dark you know, setting, you know, with right. the flashes of the fire, you know, and just claustrophobic and just tension. And, you know, you're being introduced to these characters, you know, all, you know, him, 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 him. Mm-hmm. You're being introduced to them so quickly, but at the same time, it's not so uh, uh, flooded at you. You get to understand each character qu- uh, smoothly enough,
1: I guess you it's c- could It's not overly expositional. Yeah. It's not like they're sitting there talking about, Hey, didn't you grow up in in the cornfields and weren't you shucking corn? And it's it's more of just you understand Boy, who they are. I'll tell you what. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, Hank Hill was on the uh, the
1: plane. FYI, I couldn't believe that it was uh, my mind got blown. That was my favorite cameo of the movie. <laughs> uh, it's more exposition done just as simple character work. It's just the way yeah. somebody reacts to something. You get to know something about them. The way that they're you know holding themselves in you know this this bomber plane. You get to know who they are are uh, it's it's integrated exposition which is so much harder to do than people realize but is so beautiful when it happens um you somehow begin to care about all of these people even though you don't know like think of this what do you know about their home lives nothing 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 right but no, you care you about to. them you love them you don't need to you know where they are right now and you want to know what's going to happen with them you yeah. know And I think that's the mistake movies make is they think, well, in order to really, you know, you have to know about the love back home or about the mom and dad that did this. And it's like, you know,
2: I think with war movies, particularly World War Two movies, um, what I tend to do is I'll take like my grandparents story and I'll just insert it, you know, into like a specific character. I'm like, okay, yeah, that kind of reminds me of my grandpa. So I'm just going to yeah. give that person my grandpa's story, you know, growing up in Arkansas and doing all this stuff and then, you know, being drafted into World War II, stuff like that. So I don't know if other people have, you know, that kind of thing happened to them where they're like, okay, yeah, I can just uh, create my own story and put it here the one I would fit best with this character okay this guy obviously grew up in Jersey so Mm -hmm. you know he's got that kind of background to him you just the way they talk their mannerisms that can help you create a a backstory for them without them even just telling you about them
1: yeah totally so I, I love this character development I love the first 20 minutes of this movie I think it's absolutely spectacular Uh, And then it just it just holds on to you. It just doesn't let you go. And even though this movie gets super ridiculous, um, I just I was in. I was just in uh, for the experience and what they were going through and the over the top nature of some of the elements. I just suspended my disbelief. You know, and it's because I wanted to. I wanted to suspend my disbelief. I wanted to be involved in what was going on. Yeah. So, um, do you have the the actors up there in front of you or anything? Cause yeah. I meant uh, to pull those up. We uh
2: we have uh, uh. Let's see. <sighs> Uh, discount Jason Clark. We have Discount <laughs> his... John Boyega. Yeah, I know,
1: right? No, I yeah. th- I thought both of those things actually. But what Wyatt what... Russell is the Jason Clark guy? I think he was in an uh, episode of uh, Black Mirror Playtest of the Dan Trachtenberg episode. Yeah. I think he was the one in playtest, and I remember liking him in that yeah. and thinking he looked a lot like Jason Clarke. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was great in this. He's really good, yeah. Wasn't he good? Yeah. I thought him in, what's the... Jovan
2: dunk- Adepo, who okay. is the uh, discount John Boyega. He is uh, Denzel Washington's son in Fences. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought he was great. And then you have Euron Greyjoy. He yeah. was the Nazi? Yeah. Oh,
1: you know who was also in this was the the guy from Agents of Shield that plays um the I either he puts on the most amazing Scottish accent ever in Agents of Shield or he puts on a great American accent in Overlord. <laughs> like he is he has such a thick accent. I was like, how is is somebody dubbing his voice? Is um, it the uh, the really really skinny kid the kid the photographer?
2: Yeah, he is. Oh, the photographer kid. Yeah, that was not a lot of pictures. It's interesting. <laughs> you can tell that this was a uh, was his name Chase. I think could be. Yeah, Chase. Uh, Ian. Yeah,
1: Ian. Uh, he
2: is born in Glasgow.
1: Yeah, I told you, man. He's, I couldn't believe that he had dropped his his accent like that. That was pretty incredible Without
2: getting into spoilers his scene is horrifying. Yeah
1: yeah. we'll talk a little bit more about it in spoilers yeah. um, when we can talk about more of that stuff. Uh, Dominic Applewhite was also great. John Magaro, who was the like the Brooklyn yeah I liked him a lot. He, he was so great. He yeah. has a relationship with uh, uh, you know a French kid in this movie yeah. uh, in the city that's under siege. That I thought was great.
2: <laughs> just kid not keep st- scaring him. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get a
1: pedal on this kid or something. I don't know. And it, it was just, there was enough humor here and there to, you know, lighten it up every yeah. once in
2: a while. And I don't I had a good time, man. Maybe the reason why I can kind of buy into this movie is because there were rumors about, you know, Heinrich Himmler doing, you know, experiments on people trying to get the Thousand Year Army. So it's kind of... Based off of historical events mm-hmm. that were rumored to have taken place, but like if they actually came to fruition, you know, mm-hmm. like what if Himmler did find out how to make the thousand year army, you know,
1: it's kind of doom the movie, right? Like, I mean, Do, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Doom, right. Doom is more uh, opening hell. No, no. Sorry. Not doom. Uh Wolfenstein. Yeah. It's yeah. It's Wolfenstein. It's Wolfenstein the movie, right? Yeah. It is exactly Wolfenstein. Movie. I know that's what I have. Like partway in, I'm like, "Oh, this is Wolfenstein." I remember. Yeah. I think it was called Wolfenstein 3D when it first came out. Yeah,
2: Return to Castle Wolfenstein. Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, interesting stuff. But uh, but I don't know. What do you want to talk about negative wise? Uh, let's see. Just the ridiculousness, or there's some moments. No, it took because it out I think the
2: ridiculousness is intentional, and mm-hmm. I don't think I can knock the movie for that. It did what it tried to do. Um, just. I knew going in that there was no way they were going to let the Nazis win. (laughs) So. Yeah. uh, I didn't feel any sense of danger, really. Okay, Like, for specific characters, like, I had, like, two characters in my head. I'm like, okay, you two are safe. And then I was right. Yeah, the two characters. You know
1: what though? I'll push back on that just a little bit because, especially straight from the opening scene, they're setting up characters. You know that character development we're talking about. There are characters that get even that you know little bit of character exposition that everybody else does mm-hmm. that don't make it that far. You know what I mean? Like they they did kill off people that we were starting to at least a little bit care about. You yeah. Know? Um. So they did set up early that you know anybody can go. Um, but then at some point you're right, it settles in and you're like, okay, I, I think I kind of see how this is going to turn yeah, out. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I don't think I knew exactly how it was going to turn out. I just kind of had a sense for, you know, how things might happen.
2: Uh, this movie kind of walked the line on, uh, gore porn a little bit, sure, but not to an no, excessive like hostile kind of level. I anything. think this
1: is well worth mentioning. Uh, and actually is what fall is, is the only part of this movie that falls into the negative camp for me. And the reason I go. Liked it instead of full loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it, I know what the movie's trying to do and I think it wants to be that movie, right? Um, but it's a little much for me. Like I just, I don't need, it felt at times gratuitous. It felt at times like it didn't need to be put, the gore didn't need to be pushed that far yeah. for me to feel what they're feeling. Um, but, and I and actually heard the director talk about this on an interview after I saw it, it was intentional. Like, that is what the movie wanted to be. He definitely wanted... He said he he tried to put himself in, like, his 11-year-old brain and be like, what would be gross cool for, you know, me to see, you yeah, know, that kind of stuff. So, I get it. I just... It just didn't appeal to me in that way.
2: Because it could
1: have been done... And just like you said,
2: if they would have reined that in just a little bit and made it more thriller creepy... It would have been a way better movie. Well look
1: at actually and not just in this way. There are actually several ways that this reminds me of Indiana Jones movies. But look at the Indiana Jones he movies. Nancy's. <laughs> look at the Indiana Jones movies with some of the grotesque uh, you know, body horror stuff that happens in there when the arc is opened and the guy's face melts off and the eyeballs fall out. But and...
2: that's a fifteen minute segment as opposed to forty five minutes that's throughout my point. a
1: movie. That's the, that's the point I'm making. Oh, okay. Is like you can go there. And have that because that is that moment that the eleven year old goes, oh, cool, gross, cool, you know. Yeah. But you don't have to push it so far and have it so much. Yeah, absolutely. There, there were a couple moments. Um, maybe I'll just wait till spoilers to say specific ones. But there were a couple moments where I was like, no, nah, it's now nah, I'm just grossed out. Yeah, I'm not excited about that.
2: Also the. Uh this i'll just say substance in this movie literal substance Mm -hmm. uh the explanation for it was
1: lacking and agreed yeah agreed i didn't even think about that that's a great point
2: no you're just like oh okay so that's it's yada yada quite a bit it's very yada yada yeah (laughs) it to a point where like oh come on you could have
1: and also to a point where it kind of undercuts the end of the movie in some ways and we can talk about that in spoilers but um but yeah, that's that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. That's a really good For the
2: good fact point. that once that ends, there's no ramifications leading beyond. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Which is something that could have been done really well. You know, like what if this happened? Like you would have twisted one little thing and the ramifications, because we know this doesn't take place in our universe. Right. So there's no point in holding back, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, okay, this obviously isn't, our world, you could have the monster zombies things get out, and then you could build a new universe, for a cinematic universe for this movie, mm-hmm. and make it its own, you know, Cloverfield sort of thing. Yeah, but since the movie is, you know it the way it goes you're like okay well it doesn't have any ramifications so
1: the, i don't it, know if that's spoilerish or not it's a little bit spoilerish but we'll talk about it more in detail during spoilers i really don't have much other to say it's a crazy ride Um uh, the first 20 minutes is worth the price of admission yeah um know you're getting into a movie that takes advantage of its R rating in violent and gory ways um and then just hold on for dear life yep and that's, <laughs> that's overlord good call <laughs> All right, before we head on uh, to our SIFT quest for this week, uh, it is official. Patreon.com slash SIFT Pop is now available for you. Go to Patreon.com slash SIFT Pop to support this podcast and everything happens in the SIFT Pop world. Uh, you will get bonus episodes for every single episode that comes out in your own fancy podcast feed, uh, as well as support uh, the Five Things movie reviews and all that right at Patreon.com slash SIFT sift pop uh so you can check out all the stuff there starts at three bucks a month comes with some really fun perks and we'd love to have you on board patreon.com slash sift pop with a t had people tell me sometimes they search for sift pop with Mm. no t sift i get that it's hard to hear the t sometimes yeah uh speaking of which let's do the sift quest Uh, So this one comes to us from Gideon on Twitter says best use of best uses of color as symbolism in film examples being the color red in Schindler's List or green in Vertigo fine Gideon take the biggest two examples that's it. Uh, the red in Schindler's list is spectacular. Um, oh, yeah. And it's not just the green in Vertigo. It's also the red in Vertigo and the way they interplay with each other. Um, yeah, because those he's, characters. Because he's always
2: wearing green, I think, in the movie, and she's always wearing red, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it has
1: to do with passion and envy. Yeah. So anytime, you know, he's feeling... And in fact, Vertigo does this really interesting thing. Man, Hitchcock was a genius. Does this <laughs> Does this really interesting thing where there are scenes where all the color, all the reds and greens drop out Mm -hmm. and you feel the absence of them. There's so much red and green in this movie that, that he can use the lack of red and green to build a different kind of emotion in some of these scenes. It's just really interesting.
2: Here, uh, here's a preface for me personally on this. I'm red, green, colorblind. So they kind of blend together a little bit for me. Wow! But having said that, I can still, they're used well enough in this movie. I can actually differentiate them because they're so, uh, bold I guess you could say you know they're they're extreme the uses of these colors to where they're not you know uh, muddled versions of green and red to where I can't you know differentiate yeah yeah they're bold and bright enough
1: Um, let's mention a few other examples that we like Uh, do you want to start or you want me to Uh, I'll go Um, there's
2: a movie called Sin City that is not good but the (laughs) use of color in that movie is incredible because it's very minimalistic they only use like Black, white, green, and red, and mm-hmm. when I say versions of those, I mean like neonish colors of those. Yeah, like the greens is like a bright neon lime green. The red is, it's comic book. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it is. It may, it's trying to look exactly like the comic books do. Uh, that's a good transition <laughs> into
1: my first one I'd throw out because it is also very comic booky in execution. Mm-hmm. That's Unbreakable. Yeah, um, Unbreakable uses uh, color in some very interesting ways with the purples mm-hmm. and again, the greens and uh, all that kind of stuff. So,
2: yeah, if you don't know watching Unbreakable, like the colors they use for Mr. Glass and stuff, those are very um, specific colors used for villains. You know, mm-hmm. purple is a very villainistic color in comic books, as opposed to the colors that um, what's Bruce Willis's character's name? Anyway, the colors that he wears all the time, you know, they're very heroic. Mm-hmm. And then just and also Shyamalan is
1: good. He uses red throughout to signify in um mm-hmm. in uh the one before that. I I see dead people. Um Six Sense? Six Sense. Okay. Uh he uses red in Six Sense in some interesting ways too to signify when death is coming and death and those kind of things. So mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's always used color in symbolic and interesting ways. So I thought I'd throw that one out there. Got any others?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with a movie that a lot of people don't like, but I love this movie. It's a movie called What Dreams May Come. Yeah. Uh, Robin Williams movie. It's uh, a very depressing movie, it's but gorgeous, it's also though. beautiful. Yeah. Like the colors they use in that because. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the basic premise of the movie is Robin Williams has an incredibly horrible life. His children die, then his wife commits suicide, then he dies. Oh, I mean, no, I think he dies and then his wife commits suicide. So he's up in heaven and everything is vibrant and beautiful. He's hanging out with Cuba Gooding Jr. It's great. Yeah. And uh, it kind of looks like a... Uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, a Van Gogh painting, almost. Mm-hmm. You know the way the colors. You know, yeah, it's ink. definitely,
1: yeah, it's definitely meant to embody the the uh, water. Not even watercolor, but the um, you know the different kinds of painting textures and those exactly, kinds
2: of things. and it's gorgeous and beautiful. And then he finds out oil his, paintings. That's oil what paintings. Trying. There yeah. we go. Then he finds out since his wife committed suicide that his wife's in hell. He loves her so much he's leaving heaven to go down to hell to get her out. And the color transition as he goes from heaven to limbo to hell is beautiful because yeah. it just transitions to gray and dull and muddled, and then mm. it's just fire and intimidating and terrifying it's it's an incredible use of color in a movie probably up there with some of the best uses of color in movies
1: even if you don't like the movie you have to give it that absolutely um and i don't like the movie and i do give it that yeah. uh <laughs> my, my next one is probably the granddaddy of this category uh, using color symbolism and that's wizard of oz the idea that yeah. you know you don't you took it's mine. black and white and then you go out into <laughs> the you know the oz world and it's all these beautiful colors and there's a symbolism of dreams different than the drab reality and you know it's it's very smart in that way
2: yep that was going to be my next one so i guess i can move on to my other one because sure. i had four i don't know okay, how many I only you had, had three okay so uh blade runner 2049
1: that's a gorgeous movie yeah are you thinking of specific symbolism in the colors or just the, the yeah
2: the... because uh whenever he's like out in the city you know it's very neon and bright and mm-hmm. stuff and then whenever they go to uh uh is why why or why tech or whatever it is mm-hmm. every- i'm having a brain fart sorry that's no, all right I'm, um, I'm the worst so you know it's very um pascal you know and just mm-hmm. uh, oranges and reds and stuff mm-hmm. and then whenever he goes to vegas you know it's just that dusty bright you know sandstorm so his uh the way that Denis villeneuve shot that movie is every single scene had a different you know cinema cinematic you know style to it it could be very Uh, dull and muddled or it can be bright and bombastic Mm -hmm. or it can be you know eerie and dark you know if you look at his life because he is spoilers for 2140 or for 2049 (laughs) ryan gosling's character is an android Mm -hmm. so whenever you look in his apartment you know everything is just like creamed color you know there's no actual sense of life really to it except for uh, his holographic uh, wife who is you know always wearing bright beautiful color dresses you know and stuff she's the only sense of life because she is the only thing that gives him purpose in life you know really so it's just things like that and then you know Harrison Ford looks like uh, the way he's living in that you know burnt down world kind of reminds me of a man who used to have everything and then it was all you know torn away from him and stuff just the settings that people find themselves in really lend to their personalities in that movie
1: very good. Uh, the other one I would mention is uh, Pleasantville, and the, oh man, I way, feel really bad I didn't mention Pleasantville. No, I just love the way it uses color as a, a symbol for um, for life. You yeah. know, for the idea of you know, I would say the the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. The idea that you know, without pain, without suffering, without Free will, all those things, uh, it's black and white TV era, and then once you understand the beauty of love and truth and free will, that along with that comes pain and darkness and, you know, that all that stuff goes together, that's when all the colors come out, and I just think that's a very interesting, <sighs> symbolic interpretation of the Genesis story, you know, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, man, yeah. I really wish I would have thought of that. That's a good choice. And a good <laughs> Thanks, movie. man. I really do. I like Pleasantville a lot more than a lot, of, a lot of people. But, um, but I, that's one I always think of when we think about uh, colors and symbolism. Well, thanks, Gideon. We appreciate it. Uh, great SIFT quest. If you want to send us on a SIFT quest or have anything else for the podcast, again, you can email us uh, at feedback at SIFTpop.com or hit us up on Twitter. That works as well. Uh, Barry Treasure time, my friend. Woo. Want me to go first? Please. Christopher Robin finally got around to seeing it i really want to see that it's good good. yeah i would highly recommend it um it's not it's it is like i I think i tweeted this it's basically winnie the pooh uh serving notice to paddington that he's the og (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah good call um However, the Paddington movies are better than this movie, um, mm. but it's still good. Are and they trying to go for the same thing? It really feels very similar. Okay. The idea of it, it, this this British sense of humor and the sensibility of, man, I laughed out loud several times at Winnie the Pooh in this thing. I forget how funny I think that character is because he will say things that are obviously true in a way that he's almost humble enough to willing to believe he might be wrong and it just cracks me up every time for instance there's one moment where christopher robin oversleeps and it's the next day and he says oh no it's tomorrow and pooh says something like oh i thought it was today (laughs) it always seems to be today just that kind of stuff just slays me uh and and this is very much the winnie the pooh characters you know from growing up from the other movies same voices for many of them not for all of them but for many of them including pooh and tigger uh so I think the Piglet guy has passed on. Yeah, and I know Brad Garrett did the Eeyore voice in this, so I know it's not all the original voices. Maybe I could do Eeyore. Eeyore cracks me up too, man. Like yeah. I just the sensibility of the Winnie the Pooh 100 Acre Wood universe is very funny to me and also so very uplifting, which is the other thing it has in common with Paddington is it's this idea that you can be hopeful be bright and you know be positive oh, and, yeah. and still be part of the <laughs> world. <laughs> so, I, I really
2: did want to see the movie. So what about you, McGregor? Is he He's great. Okay. He's fine.
1: Yeah, I don't I mean, he's not the best part of the movie. For me it's the character, you know, it's the the, anime. the 100 Acre Wood residence, you know, but yeah. um but that the the Robin family, you know, cuz it's a grown-up Christopher Robin, the mm-hmm. Robin family is great and I'm, you know, I was glad to see them and what they were going through and how the story took them. So, yeah. It's pretty it's pretty predictable, pretty simplistic, but it's good.
2: It should be though. It's not right. it's not a movie made for adults, even though, you know, it's the adults who grew up knowing who Winnie the Pooh was.
1: Yeah, it's not the 100 Acre Overlord. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see that movie. That sounds
2: terrifying actually. Replacing those four soldiers with, with the Winnie, Tigger, the Pooh characters. Winnie the Pooh, Rabbit, uh, Piglet, Owl, Kanga, Eeyore. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, no Well, thanks. his top's made out of rubber and his bottom's made out of spring, so. Yeah. The poo. Overlord was bouncy, 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 fun, 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 fun.
2: <laughs> All right, what do you got? Um, I'm going to go with a show you actually recommended to me. Oh, cool. And I'm glad you did. The Gifted. Oh, Nice. I did not expect it to be as good as it was. I should actually start giving X-Men TV shows more credit when I start watching them. Because yeah. even after Le- or before Legion, I was like, yeah, okay, there's no way this is going to work. It looks yeah. way too weird. And I love Legion. And then I saw this one, I'm like, okay, it seems like, you know, just like a made-for-TV. It can't be good. The fact that this movie gets so political and, you know, so um, metaphorical about, you know, the way mutants are, you know... Uh, the oppressed people in society you know and it's a look at not just the powers of the people have in this movie is so secondary to the way that people uh treat mutants right and i really really enjoy it a lot
1: i thought at first i thought you were talking about the chris evans movie gifted and i was like i thought we've talked about that many times before but no you're talking about the tv show yeah the gifted i don't think i recommended that i don't think i've ever seen it oh what which- I swear, I thought you recommended that one, mm, and that's why I saw it. I don't know. Well, I don't think I've seen it. So, based off Dream Aaron's recommendation, <laughs> the one I like where they have uh, X Men like powers that a lot of people don't get into is the one that's um, oh, the the name of it's slipping my mind, but it's kids. It's a Marvel show, The Runaways. Oh. That's, that's the one that I've talked about before, I think. Maybe but I mixed up those two. Well, I'm glad you ex- enjoyed my fake recommendation. <laughs> yeah, so thanks, Aaron. <laughs> You're it was welcome. really good. <sighs> well, we did it, man. We did a podcast. Woo! SIFPOP podcast has happened. No yield. Yeah. All is right in the world. Yo, yeah, Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following them at Spreaker, either in the Spreaker app or at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Huge thanks to Andrew for coming by again today. Thanks, buddy. You can find him at Flick Freaks all over the socials. Uh, You can find me at Aaron Dicer uh, on Instagram and Twitter and then uh, at your movie friend on YouTube. Uh, much love and gratitude to our Patreon supporters for giving monthly to make this show possible. Support starts at 3 bucks a month. comes with some pretty fun perks. You can find out more at patreon.com slash siftpop. There are a lot of ways to connect with the podcast. You can leave a comment on Spreaker. You can email us at feedback at uh, And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show, too. So make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than parachuting behind enemy lines. We'll be back uh, next week with a whole bunch more movies. <laughs> just stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned to my Twitter feed for the poll and uh, we'll make sure we're reviewing what you want us to review. Uh, and I think we will do some spoiler chat on Overlord, right? Yeah, all right. we'll catch you with some spoiler chat on uh, that in just a second.